on third down. Benjamin, touchdown. Unbelievable catch by KB with Jonathan Joseph hanging all over. First line of the podcast is I have both working right now. Oh. Little tinny, though. Tinny. Yeah, mine's not working at all, so I don't know if it's just maybe it's my headset. Uh, Don's back. Yeah. Don is back, and I think the plan is for the podcast to be back weekly now. Uh, we've had three. This is, this is, we got into a good groove uh, a couple weeks ago. Matt Abelson co hosted with me, and uh, Dan Levy. And Rick Bocchini, Bocchini were on the podcast. And uh, we are going to start in the next few weeks concentrating on the start of football season and previewing football, college, and pro. And today we get off to a great start. We're going to do some fantasy football. I want to do that as early as possible as opposed to having everyone draft and then having the fantasy football <laughs> right. expert on to say, who should we draft? And Michael Fabiano, despite... Being super busy in August always gives me a half an hour, and we worked it out, and I recorded with him a few days ago. Uh, nothing bad happened to, uh, you know, ruin the integrity. Of the inter- you know, right, nobody yeah. died or anything. Uh, so the, the interview is great. 30 minutes with Michael about fantasy football. And then after the book club, uh, where we're going to cut the book club book of the month from four to two, the final two, we'll name the book club winner next week, we have... Another yearly interview that we do every year this time, Aaron Schatz mm-hmm. from Football Outsiders. And Aaron was nice enough to send us a football almanac in PDF form. Uh, and I read through that, and I sent one to Don, and I interviewed him yesterday. I immediately took their uh, fantasy projections and put them in a spreadsheet so I could sort them yeah. for my use. That's 27 bucks. that book. That's really nice. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. It's it's a ton of information. It's massive. Yeah. Like 400, 500 pages, it's something like that. It's not just NFL. I mean, there's some no, college, college in there yeah. as well, and obviously fantasy. And uh, I think they look at both of our teams about the same. About playoff team about a third of the time. Oh, okay. Super Bowl contender about a tenth of the time. I feel like the Bills have been that for... 17 years. Yeah. But we'll get in. Actually, we talked to Dan about the Bills and what their chances are of breaking the uh, – or Aaron. I'm sorry. I said Dan. Uh, breaking the uh, playoff drought. So that's the show. We're going to do three things in a second. Then we'll do Michael Fabiano first, book club, Aaron shots, and then Don and I will finish out with one last thing. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. All righty, I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right. The preseason is here. We played the uh, highlight off the top. Mm Mm-hmm. Kelvin Benjamin scored the first touchdown of the preseason, unless you count the Hall of Fame game, of course. Uh, But the first touchdown of the first week with everyone playing was Kelvin Benjamin. 
who I was worried about having him in my dynasty league, and everyone was saying he was fat. And he didn't have a particularly <laughs> very good season last year. No, the uh, whole he, team didn't really. He looked really good last night. Seemed like he was in good shape. Made a couple of good catches. Of course, it really doesn't matter how he looks with Derek Anderson on the field, really. No, that's true. And I think that's the biggest message today as we go into the first full full week of preseason is you, you can't worry about these games. No, right. I don't care how well it goes or how bad it goes. The only objective is to get through it without injury. Yes, especially for established players. Uh, we, I, rem- I remember vividly one year that uh, Eli Manning had a, just a nasty preseason. It was all over, like interceptions. I think it was one of the years they won the Super Bowl. So, yeah, with the established players, not a lot to worry about. Just don't get hurt. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember a bunch of things. One, nobody's game planning. There's right. no game planning. It's vanilla defenses, you know. Some teams won't even blitz. They just stay in their base package. They don't want to show a lot. Right. Same thing on offense. You know, nobody's running their big trick play for the season or anything like that. Uh, except the Bills that one year who gave away their great fake, fake punt, punt in the yeah. Hall of Fame game. That was good. <laughs> they didn't even wait for the uh, for the NFL. To that was Marone, right? Yeah. yeah. They didn't even wait for the, for the, uh, for the whole thing. So... We go into the first week, camps. We're still waiting to see what happens with Elliot. Yeah, now on the front page of NFL.com says Friday. So I think most people suspect he will get a suspension. It's just a matter of how many games. Yeah, I would say one, two, or three would be my guess. Yeah, it's going to be weird the way they kind of grade it because it's not one. Is it one particular thing they're trying to nail him for? I don't know. It's it... like a one-year investigation, pretty much. Yeah. I, I don't know. It Apparently, it's not one of the things that he's automatically six games. Okay. Because you know how they changed the rule where domestic violence, you automatically get a six-gamer. So apparently, right. it's not that. Or okay. we know he's going down six games. Right. So six yeah, it seems like whatever, it's yeah. more of a, a, you know, a combination of things. And I would think he'll get one, two, or three. We'll talk about it in fantasy, and I do... Posed the question to Michael, how many games does he need to be suspended for you to drop him on your board? And he said he needs to be suspended for four for him to change his position. He'd still be a first-rounder. Yeah, he but he wouldn't be out of the top three. That was Le'Veon Bell last year, right? Or Well, he got reduced right. to two. Well, Le'Veon Bell went from four to three. Okay. Or, and then uh, Yeah, four, and then they changed it to three. But he, and he was like an eighth overall pick or so last year. And I know in the league I had him in, I got him on the turn, the first-round turn. Yeah. So he's either 12th or 13th, however you draw it up. Yeah, not to promote another fantasy guy, but I happen to listen to his podcast. But Matthew Barry always talks about oh, like like, you have to ass- – you don't just take a zero at that position for those first three weeks. So right. him plus, plus replacement. the replacement level player for three yeah. weeks is still going to be a great player. Uh, other than that, I mean, it's been a relatively quiet week in camps. Hard Knocks started. Yeah, I heard. I haven't watched it, but it I heard was there's some really, good characters. It was really good. It's You can tell it's a much better – there's just more there than there was last year. It was with last year Atlanta Rams team? Oh, the Rams. Okay, that's right. And they were kind. Of, it wasn't the best season of Hard Knocks last year, but Jameis Winston seems like he's a character, the star of the show. Kind yeah, of. which makes sense. I mean, and that was I think a big problem last year. Is there's no quarterback to feature. Right. We had Jared Goff and uh, Case Keenum. Right. Right. You know, it just didn't translate. I mean, neither of them have much of a personality. The Houston year was okay, and they didn't have a quarterback. But, I mean, I guess that was part of it was some of the quarterback controversy became a story, and they at least had some characters. One thing I'll throw out to Don, uh, and it is part of the interview, but I want to get Don's reaction. It's 2014. 
okay. was the best, according to Football Outsiders, was the strongest group of receivers to enter the league. So that was the Watkins, Beckham, yeah. Robinson, Cooks, all those guys come in in 2014. And it didn't just... It's not just the perception that it was the best. Statistically, it was sure. the best, according to Football Outsiders. Okay. Now, I had said it at all my drafts last year. And do they, real quick, do they, yeah. I, I know they really go into that stuff. They probably adjust that for the period, right? Yep. Okay, yeah. And it goes back, I think they're all the way back to 1986 now. Okay. So, you know, every year, every off season, they go back further right. and chart further, so. I think they're all the way back to 86. Okay, that's fair. It's not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. So now this year, and I mentioned it at all my drafts last year, I said make sure the way you're ordering drafts is the way you want it because next year is going to be the best running back class ever to enter the NFL. And I asked Aaron what the numbers were, and like 2014, it is proven statistically. Statistically, by the numbers, given by Football Outsiders, this is the best running back class to enter the NFL. Uh, in the Football Outsiders era. But so you're talking like Fournette, Mixon, Cook. Fournette, Mixon, McCaffrey, McCaffrey. Uh, Delvin Cook, uh, Kamara, Hall, P. Ryan. Hunt, right? Hunt. Yeah, I said Hall. I meant Hunt. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all those guys. It's about nine deep, and it's never been as good. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that translates. You know, I mean... Teams are trying to be coy, right? Like Mixon comes out and he's on the third on the first depth chart. Okay. But, you know, it just doesn't matter. But, yeah, I mean, like that wide receiver class, this is the running back version. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how these guys uh, get going. And I still feel like someone off the radar, for whatever reason, is going to end up. Like I just find it hard to believe that Fournette will hold all those guys off. Not because of anything against Fernat. I love Fernat. I think he's a freak. But I just kind of feel like... I don't think we've had a show since the draft together. Um, and as soon as they made the pick... That's a terrible draft pick, right? By the Jags. Does that make them one win better? Uh, Well, depends, I guess, what you think about Blake Bortles. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's a pick they make because they think he's decent, right? Like, uh, it's a pick you make because you are a little bit nervous about him throwing fifty times. Oh, okay, game. like throwing at all. I just think that's a that's a pick that has to be made by a team like maybe a team that misses the playoffs because their quarterback got hurt, but they think they're close. Like, I, I don't know. I just thought that was a horrible pick. Like, he's going to be a fun player to watch, but he's got to be Peterson to well, do work, anything. There. They work Peterson. for the Cowboys. Yeah, but now, I mean, they the were Jags good. don't have the offensive line, but they weren't good. I mean, they had just come off a 4-12 and season. But wasn't that... They had no idea Dak Prescott was good. No, that's true. That's true. But you they know. came off a 4-12 and season yes, Romo where Romo was, was hurt. I mean, they expected in that 4-12 and season probably to be a Super Bowl contender. So, I mean, that's the team I think that... And maybe that's... Maybe in Jacksonville, they... I mean, I don't follow the Jags. Maybe I mean, the they have a ton argument, of talent. The best argument was that in Dallas, they had a made offensive line and a top-level one. I mean, I hated every time the Bills picked a running back, and the worst one they picked was uh, who was the earliest? C.J. Spiller, Spiller was the worst one they picked. And I said time. Spiller literally has to be the third best Bills running back of all time for that to make sense, and he wasn't, and it didn't make sense. And that's kind of how I feel about Fournette. He could be Adrian Peterson, and even Adrian Peterson was only good enough for one. Well, if he's Adrian Peterson, it, it'll be a good pick. Yes. I mean, you but have I mean, to that's... remember that not everyone drafted fourth overall running back or not turns out good. Right, right. Yeah, Trent Richardson. and I mean, there's plenty of busts. Right. I just, 
I couldn't I can't imagine making that pick with a team that's nowhere close to the playoffs. I mean, obviously, like you said, the team that's picking fourth is not going to be close to the playoffs. But and I mean, the way they look at it as the the, they're throwing too many interceptions. They're throwing too much in general. They yeah. have no balance on offense. Let's slow the game down. Let's run. Let's change to a run first thirty times. Take some pressure off of Bortles. You know that seems like a team that I would draft in Madden. Like on paper, they've got a lot of skill. It's just the one Jaguars fan I know didn't like it. Oh, really? Yeah, he wanted. Um, let me look at the draft NFL. I mean, there were some defensive players available at the time. That... I think it was a defensive player he wanted. Well, um, they ended up getting one, didn't they? Didn't they get the hurt injured one later on in the round or, or, or early second? Well, let's look at the Jags draft here. Yeah, sorry to go all the way back to the draft. I just yeah, just stop asking questions till I get it in front of me. <laughs> all right, so they picked for not was their first pick. Their second-round pick was Cam Robinson, an offensive tackle. And their third-round pick was Dwayne Smoot. I think you're thinking last year when they picked uh, Miles Jack. Jack, that's right. Okay. In the second round. And I'm, I'm actually okay with taking, like, an injured player when you're a bad team that's going to be, like, a, a stud. So when they picked fourth, Jamal Adams was the player he wanted, the safety from LSU. Okay. Uh, Corey Davis actually was fifth at wide receiver. Mike Williams was seventh. Looks like he might not play at all this year. Yeah. Chargers might be the most injury. I mean, man, they take some brutal injuries, it seems like. When their guys get injured, they're gone for the year. Like Keenan Allen every year. Keenan Allen last year with Woodhead. uh, Danny Woodhead. Woodhead. Uh, They just get some brutal injuries. But, yeah, so the seventh overall pick probably isn't going to play at all. And then McCaffrey, you got another running back going at eight. So I mean, I still stand by what I said. but I I guess the pick, if you don't like Fournette, for them, is Jamal Adams. Yeah, and I guess... You're picking one of those two guys. Right. There's two ways to win a championship in the NFL now, and that's either have a quarterback or have one of the all-time great defenses. So I guess unless you're drafting quarterback or some defensive stud, then I'm going to dislike the pick, I suppose. But, I mean, that's coming from a guy whose team hasn't had a quarterback in 17 years. So, All right. With that said, number two, the PGA Championship is this week, and it's... Always considered the fourth of the four majors. Okay. But it's notable this year in the fact that two players, Roy McIlroy and Spieth, are playing for the career Grand Slam. If Spieth wins the tournament, he becomes the youngest player ever to win the career Grand Slam. And this is his one and only shot at that. If he wants to be the youngest player ever to win the career Grand Slam, he needs to do it this year. Because next year, by the he'll time of the PGA, he'll be older than Tiger Woods was, who holds the record now uh, for the youngest. Spieth, of course, won uh, the British Open, uh, the last major, by playing maybe the best last six holes in a major tournament ever. After, Did you see the highlights where he hit the one so far right that they had to like move the sponsor trucks oh. and he took the drop onto the range, took a line of sight drop, and from there he hit like this crazy eagle and then a couple birdies and just scorched it. So will you watch the golf at all this week? Probably not. I just probably won't get to it. You know, I mean, it's the type of thing where if it's on TV and I'm flipping around, then I maybe, but I don't know. It's the summer. It's hard to get. I like the British Open the best because it's over by 2 or 3 o'clock. Yeah. 
You know, you just kind of watch that last round in the morning, kind of in bed. But I'm going to keep a close eye on it. Now, they've played one round as we speak, and Spieth was one over for the day. Could have been worse. He had birdies on the last two. There's some channel I just discovered on my TV. It's called like 11 or something like that. It's some sports channel. I'm probably naming it wrong. But I always flip to it to mess with my daughter because they're always playing darts on it. Darts. And I'm always like, oh, Molly, your favorite show was on it. It's always darts. She's like, oh, not darts. <laughs> so just the other day, she was she saw our TV in our bedroom. And she's like, do you guys watch darts on the TV in there? So darts I get to before golf. Sometimes. Well, they had what? Yesterday they had ESPN the Ocho for one day. I heard. They're I didn't Capitalizing I didn't on it, a 20-year joke. Right. Yeah, I know. Or right? however old that, that yeah. movie is. They played all these random sports on there. Beer pong and long darts and yeah, I missed. It. I didn't see any of it, but I heard of it. I heard about it. All right, last thing. I we do this occasionally, so I'm excited to do it. You haven't been here in a bit. Well, I don't know. Major League Baseball. Yeah, we're reaching the stretch run. The trade deadline has passed. This is gonna be embarrassing. So who's in the playoffs, Don? Let's start with the American League East leader. Uh, they have let's... a four-game lead on their rival. I know the Yankees started kind of strong, but I think they fell off. How about Toronto? Toronto is in last place at 53-60, and 11-and-a-half games behind this Massachusetts. Boston. Bohemoth, yes. Okay. Red Sox uh, lead that division by four games. Uh, this team also has a four-game lead in the Central, uh, a team who has had a lot of success recently. Including a trip to the World Series last year. Oh no, I, that's embarrassing. Uh, oh, it was the uh, the team that wasn't the Cubs. That's right. Jesus, uh, they have the second longest. Oh, the Indians. Yes, the Indians. <clears throat> and in the West, this team is was it Houston. Houston, yes. Yeah, Houston. I knew Houston was doing really thirteen well. game lead. Wow. Probably, probably write that one off. Uh, the wild card, two teams, one from the east and one from the west. Team from the east you mentioned. Uh, the team from the west had K. Griffey Jr. on it back in the day. Mariners? Mariners. Wow, the Mariners in Houston are good, huh? The Mariners are the second place wild card team. Okay. The first place is team we've mentioned already from the east. Oh, the Red Sox? No, they're the division leader. Oh. The Yankees? Yes, the okay. Yankees. 60 and 52. It's really interesting. If you go to two and a half games and call that the cutoff, there are seven teams for two spots. Wow. Yeah, that's one week. The Royals, Rays are one back. The Twins are one and a half. The Angels are two, and the Orioles are two and a half. Wow. So there's a bunch of teams who think they could win the wild card in the American League still. So that'll be interesting. All right, the National League, the East, the team that thinks they will make the playoffs every year so much so that sometimes <laughs> they shut a pitcher down. Washington. Yes. The Nationals. 14-game lead on a pretty bad division. Okay. The Mets are just too injured. Braves are rebuilding. Marlins are the Marlins, and the Phillies are ooh, bad. The Marlins only go to the playoffs when they're going to win the World Series. That's correct. Uh, this team is looking to repeat as World Series champion in Cubs. Central. The Cubs. Uh, they have a one-and-a-half game lead on the Cardinals and the Brewers. Uh, in the West, this team is 80-33. and 33 Wow. And are dominating Major League Baseball. 
And they haven't even had their best player who's been out with a back injury for a month. I have no idea. Come on. The Dodgers? Yes. Okay. The Dodgers. Playing without Kershaw, who was going to throw today from the mound. Uh, I think it was more of a scheduled rest than an injury to me. Uh, sure, maybe his back hurt, but I don't know that. I was thinking about baseball today when compare. I saw an article about uh, how Murray felt bad to replace uh, Marc-Andre Fleury in the... But, I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury still has his name on a cup. He won the cup. Do you think it's different to not be the guy in the net at the end of the game? Or do you think they treat it a little bit like a pitcher? Like, because there's four starting pitchers that probably don't pitch in that winning game. I don't think it was as big of a deal because, like, Fleury played huge games in that playoffs. So he feels like he earned it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if, like, Dominic Hasek wins 15 games and then whoever, Garth, uh, not Garth Snow, uh, well, they never won with the Sabres, but who was the backup in uh, Detroit? The older guy, right? Like, Osgood wins one game. That's going to feel a little different. But Yeah, no, I think he's okay. Oh, we got to do the NL wild card. A team from the West who plays in a stadium with lots of home runs. And another team from the West. Colorado? Colorado. And another team from the West who plays in a stadium with a pool because it's really hot out. <laughs> Tampa? Oh, no, that's the e. That's the AL. Uh, Western team in a really hot city. Oh, Arizona? Yes. Wow, this is like, I used to play one of them, like triple play baseball, 99, and like all the teams that are in the playoffs, like Houston and Colorado, and like they all were good teams back then. Seattle. <laughs> now, remember how competitive the AL wild card was? Yeah, this doesn't sound as In close. the NL, third place is six and a half behind second place. Okay, so they're going to need a couple big weeks. The Cardinals are six and a half, Brewers six and a half, and then the Pirates are eight. So I think we might have our playoff teams in the National League. Yeah. I think it's going to be... I mean, anyone could probably win the Central still because there's three teams within two games there, but you got to figure the Cubs will pull away. Did you say 80 and 30 about the Dodgers? 80 and 33. That's like a basketball 708 team. 708. That's insane. That's insane. I always kind of think like... It's good for it's good that it's so competitive because there's so many games baseball like that it still comes down to one or two games like the best teams are usually like at like fifty five percent winning for you know what I mean or like six and four every ten games it's and they're built for the playoffs they're gonna be so hard to beat they added you Darvish at the trade deadline so he's as good as anyone's number one he's gonna be two behind Kershaw and they have Rich Hill and Alex Wood so they have four pitchers who are probably just about as good as anyone else's. I mean, Alex Wood is a 2.37 ERA. What about the Cubs? Can they, like, is there, pitching is always the like. Cubs just, I mean, have not had it this year. Yeah. You know what I mean? They do have, they still do have Lester and Arietta. But, I mean, they've just not been the team that they were last year at all. I mean, Arietta has almost a four ERA this year. You know, so he's not having the year that he had the few before it. And Lester. Also has about a four ERA. Because I mean, that's kind of if you're going to bet on a long shot, you bet on a team with maybe two good starting pitchers or something, right, to upset somebody. Yeah, I think if anyone is going to upset them right now, you'd say it's the Nationals. Okay. Because you know they have three pretty solid pitchers in Gio Gonzalez, Steven Strasburg, and their ace, um, who gets a no hitter like every time, but then doesn't get the no hitter. Why can't I think of his name? <laughs> I don't know. Scherzer, Max Scherzer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Scherzer's got a 2.23 ERA. I mean, he's killing it. So that would be their toughest. But, man, talk about the best team money can buy. That's ridiculous, yeah. And if they can't close it off this year, that's going to feel like a 
a tough season. But the last two teams to win as many games as they're on pace for were the Mariners in uh, 2000 lost to the Yankees in the playoffs. And then I think it was an Indians team or something like that that also lost in the playoffs. So, All right. With all that said, we're going to take a break and come back with Michael Fabiano. All right, our next guest is a fantasy football Hall of Famer who is never busier than he is at this time of the year, but he's nice enough to take a few minutes out to join us for his annual appearance on the Sportscasters. A warm welcome to Michael Fabiano. What's going on, Michael? Uh, a lot, man. It's uh, it's August, and we are gearing up for uh, fantasy football season. It's that time of the year, right? It is. Yeah, it, it is. Once, uh, you know, once you hit... July, you, you know it's coming because everyone in the industry is posting pictures on social media of their vacations <laughs> because they all know this is the last time you can get away Getting them in, yep. before football season starts and then you're done until after the Super Bowl. Now, this I'm in the third year of a Dynasty League. This is going to be the third season. and It's the first time I've been in a Dynasty League. And it's interesting with mm-hmm. the, the fantasy calendar because – Right around, you know, draft, NFL draft happens. You get your keepers in. We have, I think we keep 12 guys, and it's an 18-man roster, I believe, with the two slots for a taxi if for rookies. You can keep on taxi. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we get those 12 names in, and then you do a pretty early draft. I think we did ours at the top of June, and it gets me kind of mm-hmm. into projections and thinking about fantasy earlier, which is something I do like. I think the dynasty prepares me for my, since I've been doing the dynasty, I think I've been better in my redrafts because I've been getting in and starting and thinking and developing my lists and things like that earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we do, we, we do a, uh, we do a dynasty league too. I have one that I run through a lot of the guys, the work and stuff like that. And we, we do our draft in June too, but we only draft rookies. Um, because we actually keep everybody. So we draft, we do like a four round rookie draft and, um, and then you draft four veterans and then we start the season, uh, at some point in the middle of August. Yeah. We do a six round draft, which is all the rookies Mm -hmm. and you can Mm -hmm. pick people who are cut as well, but it was a really interesting draft this year. It leads us into a good initial, you know what? I'll hold off on rookies for a second. I want to ask you real quick about the game because we'll never get back to this if I don't do it now. Um, okay. I'm curious about the game in general. I know that ESPN switched to PPR this year, which I, I would mm-hmm. assume means that's 30 million or so more leagues that are PPR. Do you think that overall playing PPR is the fastest going, growing trend in fantasy, or is it something different? What are you seeing with the NFL.com leagues? I mean, you've been your standard league has been PPR for a few years now, I'm pretty sure. Um, no, our standard league is, standard uh, is, is is non-PPR. Is it really? I thought your yep. standard was PPR for yep. some reason. Uh, no, 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 it's standard uh, non-PPR. We'll talk about the game in general, despite my snafu of assuming. I must have just only played PPR. <laughs> my NFL.com league is PPR. I must have just assumed that that was the default. Uh, what mm-hmm. What do you see in terms of trends, the way people are playing the game, how it's changing or staying the same even? 
Uh, well, it, PPR is becoming more popular, I think, in, in part because the you know you've got a, a lot of best ball leagues are PPR, and of course DFS is PPR, um, and or, or at least some of it is PPR. And um, I've always been a, a fan uh, of PPR leagues in that, for example, you know there will be games that a wide receiver will be heavily involved in the in the game plan, maybe catch seven passes, but um, for whatever reason he maybe doesn't have a huge yards uh, per catch average, um, and he has 45 yards. Well, four and a half fantasy points is not that great, but when you consider that a guy's caught seven passes in the offense, um, he was more involved than that 45 yards would, would indicate, and I think players should receive points for, for being more involved in the offense. And then, of course, there's an argument that, well, he caught the ball, he may have lost yardage a couple of times, or he wasn't able to gain any yards after the catch, so that's on him, which I can understand that too. I like to have more points in my matchups every single week, and I like my fantasy football to closely resemble what's going on on the field. And so that's why I like having that PPR aspect, and I typically go full-point PPR. And ESPN made some changes as well. I know they made some changes to IDP, and, and, and making PPR standard, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, NFL.com, as I mentioned, is is standard non-PPR, but I would love to go full PPR across the board. But that's just my that's just my preference. I, I'm just I enjoy having higher scoring games where there's more scoring categories uh, where my players can put up numbers for me. Now I have a league that's switching to a super flex because the commissioner of that league says that it's the the future of fantasy and that, mm-hmm. um, like you said about wanting to more closely rem- resemble on-field football, his thing was, you know, quarterbacks who are MVPs of the league don't get drafted till the ninth round in fantasy because the value just isn't there. So he wanted to go to two QBs yep. to increase the value. Now, I've been running mocks, and I've been finding out that the super flex is essentially two QBs. If you're not starting two QBs there, you're probably mm-hmm. going to be in trouble. What do you think about super flex mm-hmm. and two QBs and, and my commissioner's comment that it's the, the future of fantasy. He likes to try to forecast well, those things without any, any real, it's just him talking, but go your, ahead. Uh, your, your child seems to agree with these. Yeah. She's loving it. Uh, she loves opinion. super flex. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't played in one of these leagues, I do see it becoming uh, more popular, and it's just for the reason you stated. Quarterback is the most important position in pro football, you can argue, um, and I think you can argue that pretty easily. And in fantasy football, it's different, where it's more valuable to go after the running backs and the wide receivers, and because the NFL is a passing league and more quarterbacks are scoring 200-plus fantasy points every season than ever before – you can wait on the position. People build their draft strategies based on that. I do. I typically don't draft a quarterback until the eighth round or later, uh, depending on the flow of the draft and what's out there. But I do see the appeal in that in either Superflex or a two QB league because you even out the playing field a little bit more. Uh, at running back, you start two. Most NFL teams have one back in their backfield. Fantasy football has started two. Wide receivers – you could go three wide uh, in, in fantasy leagues, which typically I like to do 
because that mirrors what goes on in the game where a lot of teams run three wide receiver sets and, and, and oftentimes even more than that. So I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I might be this season changing one of my personal leagues that I've been playing in for a while into a super flex because I like to experience what the fans are getting interested in. Now, when I am analyzing uh, fantasy players and values and performances on, you know, an NFL network or NFL.com, I always have to go with NFL.com standard scoring 10 team leagues, because that's what the core of my audience is. This is what people are, are most mostly playing, but I also run leagues where my scoring system is wild. I mean, you know, players get points for return yards and touchdowns, not special teams. And uh, I add a bunch of different defensive categories as well to help bolster a little bit of the defense. Um, so the super flex, I don't know if it's going to be the norm in the next five or 10 years. Uh, whereas like websites will be changing their standard rosters to include a super flex, but I do think more and more people are going to utilize that position in customizable leagues. I think you're kind of like me in the sense that when you add a league or however many leagues you're in, you just want them to be kind of played different. There's so many different ways to play the game that are fun that, Mm -hmm. you know, the more leagues I'm in, I just want them to be different than the other leagues I'm in. I wouldn't want to be in five standard leagues in a season, but I don't mind being in five leagues that all have maybe slightly different rules. Right. Right. Uh, No, no question about it because if you're playing in several leagues and I play in eight, um, you know, you want to have a little bit of variety, right? So, right. you know, some of them are PPR leagues. Some of them are half PPR leagues. This year, uh, I put together an industry IDP league. Uh, and I know IDP leagues are not as popular nearly as, as standard leagues are, but I still want to do something a little bit different. I mentioned that one of my leagues is likely going to end up going into the, the super flex category. So um, when you play in a lot of leagues, it's fun to have a little bit of variety in the scoring systems and the rules. Can you remember a season with so many kind of exciting rookie running backs coming into the league at one time? I mean, I think it's almost no, eight or I, nine deep. No. Yeah. And, I, and I've said that, too. Um, now, with, 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 that, with that being stated, I think people are also overrating some of these running backs. Now, that doesn't include Leonard Fournette, who I like, Joe Mixon, who I like, um, Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey. But you're seeing Samaj P. Ryan being drafted ahead of Rob Kelly. You're seeing uh, Kareem Hunt, in some cases, being drafted ahead of or very close to Spencer Ware. You are seeing people take flyers on Jamal Williams, which I can see. But in these, in these scenarios, people have to remember, the veterans aren't going to go away without a fight. So as much as I love Joe Mixon as a player, Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard are still in that mix. So this is not lock, stock, and barrel his backfield. Dalvin Cook, who is moving up my draft board because, well, he's the most talented back in backfield and Latavius Murray is banged up. But once Murray comes back, is he going to steal goal line looks? Are they going to give him short yardage looks? Is Jarek McKinnon going to be still utilized as a pass catcher? That could be a committee situation. Even with Christian McCaffrey, who by all accounts is just burning up 
uh, Panthers camp. And even Jonathan Stewart said that, you know, the kid's unstoppable. But Jonathan Stewart's not going away in that backfield. In fact, I don't think McCaffrey opens the season as a starter. That's going to be Jonathan Stewart's starting job. Uh, will McCaffrey see more touches? Yes, because he's more versatile. He's a better player. Uh, and he's a more dynamic player. But with that being said, when they get inside the five-yard line, are they going to give the ball to McCaffrey? No, probably not. It's going to Stewart or maybe Cam Newton. Or maybe they're going to throw uh, some fades to uh, a big guy like Kelvin Benjamin. Right, or Olsen. So people yeah. have to remember that. Yeah, right, or Olsen too. You have to remember that. So as much as we love to talk about the rookie running backs, and there are going to be several who make a big impact, there's also going to be a couple that people are going to reach for in overdraft, like Joe Williams is another example. I understand that Kyle Shanahan handpicked him in the draft, and Carlos Hyde's in a contract year, and he's shown flashes, but he's been prone to injuries. And people say he doesn't fit the scheme. When you're a good player like Carlos Hyde is, when he's dedicated himself to becoming the player that will be able to succeed in this offense, I think people are overlooking that and just considering Joe Williams at some point a lock to be the starter. Could that happen if Hyde gets hurt? Of course. I don't think Hyde gives up that job outside of some sort of injury. And when I see Hyde falling into the fourth round or maybe even the beginning of the fifth round in a smaller league, I'm looking at my chops thinking that could be a nice steal because he's a good player. Uh, he's just had injury issues over the last couple of seasons. And if I can grab him as an RB2 uh, in the fourth or fifth round, I think he is well worth the risk at that point. Uh, I'm sure you've done a bunch of mocks, maybe even a couple of drafts that you might play out. Looked at Max. Who are some guys you're seeing consistently either on your teams or being picked by other teams where you go, oh, that's a really good value at that spot? Who are guys consistently over and over again when you're either looking at or doing mocks or leagues you play out, you just think, man, they're just in the sweet spot right now? One guy I keep getting is Demarius Thomas. Uh, and he's typically coming off the board to me in the third round. So uh, what I do is... I'm going in the first round, and then whoever, whatever position I don't draft in the first round, I take in the second unless someone else from the opposition falls to me, and I, I can't turn it down. But Demarius has been falling to me in the third round, uh, and, and I like getting him there, and typically he's my second wide receiver. I like Mike McCoy coming back, maybe giving him some more opportunities to succeed uh, in the screen game, which is where he had a lot of his success when he was with Denver and McCoy when Peyton Manning was the quarterback there. Um, I'm seeing Brandon Cooks falling a little bit, uh, not too much. I'm seeing people overdraft Jordan Reed. I, I don't see him being worth more than a fifth-round pick right now, especially with the toe question marks. People are drafting Ty Montgomery uh, higher now. Uh, Dalvin Cook, who I mentioned, I think is a good value as a fifth-round pick. That's where he's coming off the board. If Martavis Bryant falls to the fifth or sixth round, I think he could be a steal. I love his upside. Yes, he still needs to be fully reinstated, but we all expect that to happen before the start of the regular season. Time will tell. Uh, Mike Gillisley, if you can get him in the sixth or seventh round, to me is a very good value. The same thing goes with C.J. Anderson. And there's a lot of chatter about Jamal Charles, but Jamal Charles is 30 years old and barely played in the last two years. C.J. Anderson last year before getting hurt was on pace for 199 fantasy points. And if you can get a guy with that sort of potential – in the sixth round, and I do believe C.J. will lead that team in backfield touches, that is an absolute steal. Uh, when you're looking at a player, for example, like Stephon Diggs, Stephon Diggs averaged uh, almost seven yards a game last year. 
he's a thousand yard wide receiver waiting to happen. He has been dealing with injuries. He was banged up in the second half of last season. But if you can get Diggs as a three, he could potentially produce as a two. And that, to me, makes him uh, a very good value. And, of course, there's, you know, ten values at the quarterback position every single year. Right. They all seem to be values because everyone's waiting on them. Yeah, Diggs just – I mean, I've been watching Sam Bradford play since he was 18. And, I mean, he locked on to to, to Ryan Broyles at OU. And he Diggs reminds me of him a little bit. And he's had, he had some monster games last year. He had, like, 14 catches at – I, I agree that he could. Yeah, be. I believe he had one huge game against. Yeah. The, maybe it was the Packers. I want to. say. Yeah, I want to say that too. Um, dynamic, talented kid who has dealt with injuries, and I think in the off season he realized I need to take better care of my body if I'm going to succeed in the National Football League. And he has all the skill that you need to be a top twenty wide receiver in fantasy, without question. Uh, and entering his third NFL season, I mean, that's been a, a past trend where wide receivers break out in that third year. Maybe he'll be that guy this season. How many games does Ezekiel Elliott have to be suspended for you to drop him significantly? Three. 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 That's... And it wouldn't be a significant drop either. I say if he's suspended two games, he's not moving. And I bring up the Le'Veon Bell example from last year. Bell finished fourth in fantasy points and averaged 20 points a game and missed four games. And we knew he was going to miss two. Bell is the reason I won a couple of my leagues last season because – I had the turn pick, and he was still on the board when I was in the second round, and I'm like, there's no way he should have gotten out of the first round. And that was, I mean, one of my leagues, my, my three top running backs where I dropped at Ezekiel Elliott in the first round, I had Le'Veon Bell in the second round, and then I picked up Jordan Howard off waivers. Uh, if, if, if Ezekiel Elliott is suspended two games and falls out of the first round, it's a shame because you can make up for those two weeks. You really can. The, the Darren McFadden is a fine replacement. Um, if you want to wait until the late rounds and, and grab Jacquez Rogers, who's going to start for the Buccaneers for the first three weeks with Doug Martin suspended, go ahead and do that. There are replacement level players that you can get that will do an adequate job to replace Ezekiel Elliott. They can't replace his production, but you can be smart about it. And I have a hard time dropping Zeke, even if he's suspended three games. But at that point, I may have to move him potentially behind a guy like LaShawn McCoy, behind a guy like Melvin Gordon, but I would drop him too far. The sports guests are here with Michael Fabiano from NFL.com, kind of finishing up our annual fantasy chat. Just a couple uh, things real quick. Let's, let's go back to Brandon Cooks real quickly. You have him You have him at 14th. He's 22nd overall on NFL.com among wide receivers. Uh, I made a trade mm-hmm. in my dynasty league where I traded him for – for uh, AJ Green and moved up in the first round, and it seems like I didn't realize wow. I crushed that trade as much as I did because I know that the the, uh, the 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 narrative is that there's just too many mouths to feed in New England. But I mean, Cooks made his his he was the ninth receiver overall in New Orleans, and I mean nobody throws the ball to more different wide receivers than Drew Brees, right? He throws the nine guys a game. Why? Why do you think right, it's getting but... to a, a tipping point where the hate is too much on? cooks no I, I i i do believe that he's he's being drafted where he should be which is as a high-end wide receiver too and yeah the, the saints have had good receivers in the past <clears throat> i don't know that the saints have ever had a core of receivers like the patriots do though i mean 
when you're looking at a guy like Chris Hogan being the fourth best wide receiver potentially on the roster, and this guy was dynamite down the stretch for the Patriots en route to their Super Bowl, you've got Rob Gronkowski back in the mix who's going to give you double-digit touchdowns, and you've got Julian Edelman who typically is getting 150-plus targets. I, I believe that will decrease this season. You've also got good ca- uh, pass-catching backs in James White, uh, Deion Lewis. I think Mike Gillisley is the leader there, but in terms of catching the ball, those two guys will lead the way. Uh, Malcolm Mitchell is in the mix there as well. Dwayne Allen is in the mix there as well. So this team has more weapons, uh, and I can mention Danny Amendola as well. Uh, the, the, this team has more weapons in the past deck than I think any Saints team that Cooks played on. So that, to me, is the reason why he has fallen a little bit. But if you look at it, last year he was, I believe, eighth or ninth in fantasy points among wide receivers. Yeah, I'd have been ninth. If, falling, you know. down the, falling down the 12th is not that far of, of a drop uh, as far as I'm concerned. And that's where he should go. There are, there are just a number of talented wide receivers, and some of them are absolute no-brainers who are going to go ahead of him. Um, I, I think you can argue that he belongs ahead of, for example, a guy like Amari Cooper or DeAndre Hopkins, who had a bad season in 2016. Maybe Robinson. even Demarius Thomas. Uh yeah, so th- there are receivers that you can make an argument for him uh, uh, for for where he where he's ranked uh, compared to these other players, but in that wide receiver, I, I say twelve to fourteen range, um, I think that's where he belongs. And uh, I think I have him again at fourteen. I had him at twelve. I moved him down a couple of spots, um, but that to me is is the sweet spot. And I'm not going to have to take him in the second round. He's going to be likely uh, a player who's drafted in a 10-team league at the end of the round three, maybe in the middle of round three. Yeah, I think your ranking at 14 is fair. Makes sense to me. But when I see him at 28 and 30, like Grant and Galar have him, I'm thinking like, man, if at my draft 29 receivers go and then I'm picking the 30th wide receiver and it's Brandon Cooks, I'm going to do a dance or something. I didn't realize they had him that low, but um, that, that's that's a significant decrease uh, for a player as dynamic as Brandon Cooks, though despite the fact there are a lot of miles to feed, as you mentioned, Tom Brady's still the quarterback there, and they didn't go out and get him to saddle him into being the second, you know, the, the second or third wide receiver in terms of targets on that team. He should lead that team in targets or be very close with Julian Edelman, and then Rob Gronkowski will be right there as well. All right, let's get you out of here on this. I could talk to you all day, obviously. But you mentioned that Le'Veon Bell won your league last year. I think maybe Tom Brady won some people leagues last year. Of course, he you know he went later than normal because of the suspension. Uh, maybe because of suspension, but maybe for another reason. Can you give me a guy or two that you think, based on where people are going to draft him, uh, he's going to come up over and over again on championship rosters when we're all said and done here? I know I'm asking you to project out quite a bit, but something fun to close out with. I, I really like Marcus Mariota. I think he's a player who you're going to be able to get in the middle to late rounds. Who could be this year's Matt Ryan. Uh, I'm a big fan of where Carlos Hyde is going right now. Um, again, fourth or fifth round, I mentioned that. If you can get him there, C.J. Anderson's another player. Martavis Bryan is another player that – 
um, I think could be a bargain. Um, you know, Amir Abdullah, I'm lukewarm on him. I like that he's the featured back. I do have concerns that he's been prone to injuries. But if he stays healthy, yeah, he's a talent. he could give you RB2 numbers. And th- this is a guy who's going to come off the board probably, I would guess, in the sixth round. There's other players, like I mentioned, um, Stefan Diggs, who I think could end up being very helpful to you. Um, and then if you go on the list, there are going to be several quarterbacks, of course. You know, Dak Prescott would be one of them. Uh, Cam Newton is, is, is dropping and uh, potentially could be a ninth or tenth round pick at this point. There are other quarterbacks with maybe not big name value, but then Andy Dalton the weapons he has in Cincinnati this year are better than he's ever had. And this is a guy who's thrown 33 touchdown passes in a season at the, at the NFL level. And I understand that the offensive line has got some question marks, but I think they're going to put Andy Dalton in the shotgun and have him spread defenses out because that will help uh, at least mask a little bit the, the potential issues with the O-line. And with John Ross in the mix, and you know, you've got Tyler Boyd and Brandon LaFell and Tyler Eifert, if he can stay healthy for 12-plus games, Andy Dalton could be a guy who gives you 28 total touchdowns. And, and he's someone you're going to pick probably in one of the last three rounds. Uh, Eric Ebron is another player, late-round pick, potentially could end up seeing 700-plus yards and four or five touchdowns in Detroit. And at the tight end position, you know, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, Jack Doyle is another one, potential breakout candidate. A lot of that has to do with what happens with Andrew Luck and if he's going to start the season uh, active or on the PUP list, but he's a player that you can look at. If you're in a PPR league, I, I typically don't boast USC wide receivers, but if you're in a PPR league and you're looking at a late flyer, Robert Woods is someone who could potentially lead that team in, in targets uh, coming up this season because Tavon Austin, I think we know what he is at this point. He's been in the league long enough. So Jacquez Rogers is another player I mentioned. You know, Maybe he's not a guy who is going to be a, a starter on fantasy teams all year long, but you're only playing typically 12 or 13 regular season weeks. Every week counts. And if Rodgers comes in and opens the season as the starter in Tampa Bay, as I believe that he will, if you look at the numbers, you're in five games where he had 15 or more carries. He averaged over 23 touches and 13 points a game. That's pretty good. So he can help you in the beginning of the season. And if he's good enough, maybe Doug Martin doesn't get his job back or it's a committee situation. So right. that's another player. And you know, I mean, I could go on. I could go on all day with you know middle to late round players that I'm personally targeting because you know I like their upside, I like their potential, and those guys are easy to cut because you didn't invest very much in them. So at the end of the day, if you take a guy like Rogers and he finds success for you for three weeks, but Martin comes back, takes the job, and his carries are, dec- are decreased, well, you cut him. That's fine. But a lot of times, and we've seen this in the past. You can really win or lose a league based on players you draft in the second half of those rounds. I mean, Matt Ryan was a perfect example last season. He was drafted late or not at all, and he ended up scoring the second most points in the entire league. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on so many of those guys. Michael Fabiano is on Twitter, at Michael underscore Fabiano. Senior fantasy analyst, you can find his work and articles at NFL.com. Rankings are up there, projections, really great site, great place to play too, great app. Uh, I think it's the only app still with uh, highlights and live scoring, really cool kind of things that they Mm -hmm. get because 
they're associated with NFL, which I think probably helps a little bit. So really a great place to play. Michael's always yeah. so kind with his time. Who's going over at SummerSlam? Any quick SummerSlam picks? <laughs> you know what, man? Um, as, boy, as, as long as my boy Miz uh, you know, doesn't lose the IC strap, I'm all good. Um, I, at some point, the, the push that they're giving Reigns has to – it has to, uh, at some point, mean that Never the title is going to fall into his lap. Yes. I would think. I would, I would think, think so, too. And how long can they go with Brock Lesnar showing up, you know, once a month and being the champion? At some point, you've got to put the strap on somebody who's there every week, you know, for every every Raw or SmackDown or whatever the case may be. Um And, and Reigns is a guy that I think will uh, will eventually get that get that belt and then Lesnar will probably exit stage left and, you know, who knows, maybe go back to uh, the, the, the fighting that he did previously, um, which uh, is, is so popular. Um, I believe it was MMA, right? Is he MMA? Yeah, Lesnar. Is that what he was in? I don't UFC. follow that yep. stuff. Yep. So, um, yeah, UFC, yep, yep. So um, uh, at some point I think he, maybe he goes back to that. Uh, yeah, there's a rumor he may fight John sort of Jones. Exits Chandler Jones's brother. Yep. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. Right. I, right. I did see that. So um, that could potentially happen. But at some point, they're going to put the strap on Reigns, it, it, like it or not. That that's that's going to happen uh, without question. Well, you're one of those guys I could talk to for hours, but I appreciate every minute you give me in August. I know how busy it is. So thanks to God. Anything else you wanted to plug? Uh, NFL Fantasy Live will be starting online uh, on August 14th. Uh, you can find that at NFL.com. And then NFL Network's uh, NFL Fantasy Live broadcast will begin the first week of September. And I have to look at the date real quick. It is September 4th. We will be back on NFL Network. So be sure to check it out. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Michael. All right. Take care. All right, I want to thank Michael Fabiano for being on the podcast today. Always appreciate that. Love having Michael on. Don, if you have the first pick in a fantasy draft, who are you picking out of the big six this year? I think it's David Johnson. Johnson? I, th- I think he's – Le'Veon Bell would probably be the best, but there's always some risk of him getting suspended. Or I, I think Johnson's close enough without any of that risk. That feels we know. safer to you? Yeah, it feels a little safer. Do you think the best spot to pick is sixth and just pick one of those six guys, whoever's left? You know what? I've, I always kind of think that way, but you are by taking sixth, you are picking five picks later in the third round and the fifth round. And, right. But maybe if you really, really hate – because if you pick first, it, it's kind of a fun spot to pick. Some people hate waiting that long, but there's no such thing as a reach because you're not picking for 21 more or 23 more picks. So. My guess is what's going to happen is Elliot's going to get suspended. So he's yeah. not going to be the third pick anymore. No, I would guess it's It'll be Brown. Brown. So you get the two running backs, then Brown. And then the next... Some people have Julio Jones. The next three picks will be Jones, Beckham, Beckham and Elliott. Unless Elliott really gets suspended and he drops all the way back, then you got to move up a guy like A.J. Green or... Mike Evans. Mike Evans, something like that. So I, I You know what... It, It'd be interesting to listen to like uh, professional fantasy guys and guys like us talk every year. It just feels like the first round is so deep this year. Like 
If you pick seventh, are you really that mad that you got Mike Evans instead of Odell Beckham or something? I mean, you'd rather have Beckham, I suppose, but it's just it's a it's deep. It's not like you're deciding between. Like last year, it felt like there was a bigger drop off. Last year, Allen Robinson was picked in the first round in some drafts. Yeah, Lamar Miller was maybe Lamar picked Miller, in the first yeah. round, and he was okay, but not not what you'd want in the first rounder. All right. Speaking of that, we'll transition to the book club. Okay. There's no ro- logical transition there. <laughs> but we'll do it anyway. First thing, before we get to the book club book of the year, uh, I mentioned last week we would have a new book, and it came in the mail. It's called Stingray Afternoons. It's a memoir by Steve Russian. Steve's been on the show uh, a bunch of times. And the I got a blurb for you. If you existed in the 1970s and had any awareness of the world around you, Steve Russian's Stingray Afternoons is going to hit you like the smell of Claral Herbal Essence Shampoo. Okay. <laughs> Smart as heck, laugh out loud, funny, and warm. Steve Russian's memoir does for 1970 childhoods what Gene Shepard did for 1940s Christmas. This book is nothing short of a Nadia Perfect Ten. Okay. All right. That was from Julie Clam. So, All right. So we'll get more into that in the weeks coming up, and Steve Russian will be on to talk to us later in the month after we get done with football preview and all that. All right. Book of, book of the month, book of the year. We started with seven finalists for the award. Last week we cut three, and today we're going to go from four uh, to two. The four books remaining are Gunslinger, uh, the Brett Favre book book by Jeff Perlman, uh, Playing Through the Whistle, the book about football and Al Quippa by S.L. Price, uh, Lucky Bastard, a memoir by Joe Buck, and fourth is eluding me at this moment because my daughter took the sheet that I had that I wrote all of them down. What was the other one? I don't know. She came in here yelling about hockey. <laughs> she was yelling about hockey and she took my sheet. So I'm trying to do it off memory. Playing through the whistle. Oh, the Cubs way oh, by Tom Verducci. Okay. So today we are going to cut Gunslinger by Jeff Perlman. A uh, couple reasons. One, he has a book that's already won this award. Okay. And two, I didn't like it as much as some of his other books. Uh, and three, he's just so crazy about Trump. I don't even know if <laughs> we could have him on to talk. His know. interviews are good because they're, they're not about anything a lot of times. It's just like two people talking at a bar or at, at dinner or something. But, yeah, this one would be – it would probably be hated by half the people I that mean, listen to it. I mean, he's just so fired up. Yeah. He's just over the line. Uh, and then I think I'm going to cut Buck, Lucky Bastard, as well. Uh, I know one of the criteria generally in these books is the likelihood of getting somebody back for an interview when we need them. But uh, that whole crowd, I think, would come back. So. Yeah, well, I think they'll all be back. Yeah. So we're down to Tom Verducci's The Cubs Way and SL Price playing through the whistle, and we'll announce the winner next week. All right? All right, let's take a break, and we're going to come back with Aaron Schatz. <laughs> All right, our next guest is from Sharon, Massachusetts, and attended Brown University. He is the main man at footballoutsiders.com, and he joins us every year around this time to talk about the Football Outsiders Football Almanac. A warm sportscasters, welcome to Aaron Schatz. 
Hey, Aaron, what's up, man? Really appreciate you doing this again in August. I know it's a busy time, and we love having you. And every year we look forward to this. Hey, glad to have you on. Always good to talk about the book. Always good to get people interested in the book. Well, one thing, I was looking through it, and I was thinking, one thing we I think we should do really quickly, because we do have some new listeners every year, is just kind of talk about DVOA real quick again. Because, I mean, it really is the the backbone of the book. I mean, you really can't go a page or two without that uh, that acronym coming up. And do you want to talk a little bit about kind of how you developed it and, and how it serves the book and your statistics in general? Yeah, if only I had known this was going to be my career instead of a hobby, I would have thought of something that rolled the tongue a bit more easily to call my stat. But so DVOA, here's the really basic version is it measures success in the NFL of every play, and it compares it to a league average based on uh, situation and opponent. So we assign a baseline of success for each play that's based on the down and distance. It's, it's situational football. It's trying to come up with stats to think about football the way a coach thinks about football, right? That your goal on each play is different to be, based on the down and distance. Five yards is different on first and 10 than it is on, on third and 15. Yeah. So we account for and then we compare it to the league average of how teams do in that situation at that point on the field. We adjust it for the opponent, and that basically gives you DVOA. Everything above zero is good on offense and special teams and bad on defense because it means scoring. Everything below zero is good on defense. Yeah, and I think you did a, you do a really good job right off the bat in the Almanac, too, if you read the introduction of kind of talking about how the traditional stats that we can cite and that we look at in a classical context, I guess, kind of are void of context. They just accumulate regardless of circumstance and the things that you talked about. And that's why DVOA can sometimes tell a more nuanced, to give a more nuanced picture of what actually happened on the field last year. Right. And it's, you know, adjusting for opponent is really important sport where uh, he plays a different schedule. And, uh, you know, the other thing is that because it's broken down by play-by-play, you can break it play-by-play in any kind of split you want. You can see how teams do in different parts of the field, how they do on downs, how they did in different weeks, and, and then look at sort of efficiency overall. Now, when you got a chance to sit down after the season last year and really look back and look at the numbers did anything jump out as surprising to you relative to maybe what you thought just kind of casually going through the season? Like, did anything jump out? Like, oh, I didn't re- – the numbers told a picture that you didn't necessarily anticipate? Sometimes they do with certain players. But in general, by the end of the season, you know, I, I write an article every Tuesday doing commentary on that week's rating. By the end of the season, I have a pretty good – handle on what the overall sort of sense of the season is. The biggest story of 2016 was the lack of teams. Right? I mean, teams were either all offense or all defense. The only team that was really kind of close to being balanced, well, two, I guess, is New England and Pittsburgh. Uh, I know people know New England number one in points allowed, but that was a mirage. New England was number one in points allowed primarily because, one, they played a very, very, 
very easy schedule of opposing offense. Right? Which doesn't mean they played an easy schedule of opposing defenses. Tom Brady did not have an easy schedule last year, but their defense had a really easy schedule of, you know, Flacco and Goff and San Francisco. Jets twice, Bills twice, Dolphins twice. Yeah. Well, don't say Bills twice. Bills had an above-average offense. That's right. Taylor is the most quarterback in the league. Yep, that's right. You're right about that. Because the offense never turns the ball over and the special teams are so good, the Patriots' defense starts in better field position than any other defense in the league. So they allow fewer points because you have to gain more yards against But that's, you know, that's kind of what I mean when I'm talking about last year, though, that the Patriots' defense was really an average or slightly above average defense. And so it, but other than that, all the top offensive teams were bad on defense. Atlanta, Dallas, Green Bay, and all the top defensive teams were really bad on offense. Denver, Houston. Um, so, so that was, I think, the big story of – of, of 2016. The other was just more than usual teams that were not good in DVOA winning a lot of close games and making the playoffs. There were four teams last year, I think, that had at least six fourth quarter comebacks. We, we run the table in one of the chapters. The Giants, the Raiders, the Dolphins, and the Lions all just won a ridiculous number of close games with fourth quarter comebacks. And as a result, uh, the Dolphins, the Lions, the Texans were all, I mean, the, the Lions and the Texans were below average by our numbers, and the Dolphins were average. The Giants were above average. They kind of both won and lost close games. But, you know, the Dolphins and, the, and especially the Lions and Texans were not teams that were the quality that you normally associate with playoff teams. Yeah, and I think it showed when they actually got to the playoffs and started playing playoff games, too. Uh, well, as much as Connor Cook tried to help it not show, it did show. <laughs> right. Uh, one last thing about last year, and we'll move on. I'm just curious, in terms of numbers, how did this Super Bowl, Brady, Belichick, Patriots team compare to the other four champions? Um, as far as a regular season rating of the Super Bowl championship teams, 2004 is best, then 2016, and then 2014. But the fact is, you know, the best team in the regular season does not always win the championship. And the Patriots teams of the dynasty were primarily teams that didn't actually win the title. 2007, 2010, 2012. Uh, I think that uh, three of the top four Patriots teams are those three teams that didn't win the title, with uh, 2004 being the other one. So it, it was it was the best of the championship teams. 2004, but that doesn't say a lot. There are a lot of teams in the middle that were really good, but got upset in the Super Bowl or got upset. The upset by the Jets in the 2010 playoffs may be a bigger upset than the Giants Super Bowl, hmm. to be honest. Wow. Because while well, the Patriots were at home, it wasn't on a neutral field. And the Patriots were red hot going into that game. Whereas the 2007 Patriots clearly were not as good in the second half of the season as they were in the first half of the season. Of course, the, what I, one of the things I've learned over the last few months while doing DVOA for 86 through 88 and putting it up on the site is that actually the biggest playoff upset of all time 
may not have involved the Patriots at all. It might have been the Minnesota Vikings over the San Francisco 49ers in 1987. They were on a run, huh? They had just up, upset the Saints in the Superdome, and then they went on and up, upset the, uh, the 49ers. That team that was... 49ers team, when you take, when you take out, the, even, even after you take out the scab games, the 87 49ers were number one in the league in both offense and defense. Yeah. And they lost at home. And they didn't lose in the last two minutes, like the 2007 Patriots. They got clobbered the entire day. Wow. Wow. That was uh, that was actually the uh, that Minnesota New Orleans game is the reason I'm a Saints fan. I, that was the first day I became one. So uh, interesting. Yeah. Anthony Carter went nuts against the 49ers for like 200 yards. Yeah, I think he did pretty well against the Saints as well that day, if I recall the game. Uh, but um, I wanted to ask you this, and it might be, might you might just say no, and that will be fine, but. You know, it's interesting, Dan Levy and I were talking about this uh, last week, just kind of talking about media, the evolution of sports media, kind of talking about these subscription sites that are popping up. The Athletic is in a bunch of cities. The Boston Sports Journal just launched. Um, And I think the theory, to some degree, behind those is that consumers in general are getting used to paying for things like Netflix and Spotify or Apple Music or uh, these subscription services for anywhere from five to fifteen dollars are kind of a a very regular part of are becoming a very regular part of the routine for uh, for people these days. And I, I wonder, someone who's selling a, a subscription, whether it be for uh, your your year long on the website or whether it be uh, selling the almanacs or whether it be you know being a part of Roto Pass now. Are you getting the sense that it's a good time to be selling subscriptions because it's becoming more routine or just not something you've really thought about? Uh, I do think people are more used to it now. But, you know, something about football outsiders. I'm lucky enough that I've been able to put together a business model that doesn't require it because we don't make money of advertising that much. And because of the fact that advertising doesn't really drive my income, I don't need to switch to subscription in order to drive my income. Uh, In some ways, I let ESPN sell the subscriptions for me, right? Right. We make a lot of our money through a content deal with ESPN. Most, not all, but most of our ESPN content appears on Insight. So essentially, they're taking on the, the, the selling of subscriptions. And the flip of that is that if people want to read our insider content, they don't only get football outsiders. I think insider is a great deal. I know people are going to think I'm an ESPN show for saying. No, it is a great deal. But even if you yeah. like football, you get us and you get Mel Kuyper and Scout Sink. But then on top of that, you also get like Tom Haverstrow and all the basketball guys, and you get like all the baseball big factory guys. And the magazine. So and the magazine, and that way I don't have to think about running a subscription business because I spend so much time thinking about so many other And then, of course, we, you know, we do have subscriptions, right? The book is in some sense a subscription product. You spend $20, or, or if you get the print version, $27.95, to get the fantasy projected by the, uh, one of our premium uh, packages. Uh, those are subscription products, but the content, the writing on Football Outsiders, 
for now, certainly, we want to leave that free to attract people to all the other things that we do. Yeah, interesting. I'm excited you guys are a part of Rotopass this year. That's another thing that I think is a great deal. You know, I don't think saying that if you said it wouldn't make you a shill or, I mean, obviously I, I don't have any connection to it, but I mean, for what they charge and what's included, it's a great deal. And football outside is being so much good stuff in Rotopass. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You get, what you, you get a portion of the stuff from the premium charting data and a portion of the stuff from the premium DVOA database, the matchup views each week, which which are really good once you get into the season, you see which teams are really good against, uh, you know, first, second, and third down, which teams are particularly good in the red zone and not in the red zone. And, you know, obviously our stats take into account more than just touchdown or not touchdown, right? I mean, things like interceptions in the red zone matter uh, as far as scoring, certainly, because they take away an opportunity for your kicker to get a field goal try. Right, interesting. Uh, let's talk about 2017. Uh, it's here finally. Hard knocks. Hard knocks started last night. That's always kind of a benchmark for me. Hard knocks starts, and it's like, okay, here we go. It's, it's time for the season. Yeah, twenty seventeen, the year Jameis Winston broke. Right, he, he was he was impressive last night for sure. Uh, <laughs> He's a star, man. He's gonna be a star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 tried to temper it a little bit at the end there. They're showing him having some practice frustrations at the end, uh, trying to balance yeah, it out. We know all about his arm talent. Yeah, personality was, I think, off the field we have a certain perception out of him because of his trouble when he was like 17 or 18 years old at Florida State. I think uh, we saw a different side of him yesterday for sure. Um, yeah, on, on one hand, I don't like the, I don't want, I, like, I don't like what happens in football a lot where a lot of football players have their character judged by mistakes they've made when they were, 18 and 19 years old. And that's not to excuse the mistakes they made or the mistakes that Jameis made, which may have been very large mistakes. But people do mature. On the other hand, Johnny Manziel. So sometimes they don't. <laughs> uh, man, that guy was in the news yesterday again. I can't believe... you got to give him credit. He does find a way for us to talk about him, I guess, even though we probably should have stopped by now. Are we supposed to credit him for this? I, I don't know. Maybe cre- maybe credit was the wrong word. <laughs> credit might have been the wrong word. Uh, blame. Blame could be a better word. I want to ask you this. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, uh, the, there was a just a this huge group of wide receivers that came in the league together. I, I can't remember a, a position group, you know, so loaded with guys who would become stars or number one receivers for a team. And this year, it seems like maybe. We have that at running back, where there's so many guys who could be starting running backs as rookies this year, or make an impact as the season goes on. Seems like just a really deep, deep pool. How do you, when you're preparing the, um, preparing the team chapters, you and, and the writers, how do you, how much do you take into effect uh, the unknown of the rookies and how? I mean, when it's such a statistically driven and kind of uh, money ballish type of way to look at football, how do you handle when such a large core of impact rookies without NFL data, how that could impact the league year to year? Well, I mean, there's there's three different issues. There's how does it get incorporated into team projections? There's how does it get incorporated into individual projections? And there's what do we say subjectively when we're writing about our numbers, right? Yeah. Individual projections, a lot, not on uh, 
you know, how good they were in college or anything like that. It's based a lot on trying to read the tea leaves of what their role is going to be. That's the most important thing with projecting rookies, is honestly, about what their role will be and how much they're going to be used. Um, as far as uh, team projections, sort of surprising. I know this surprises people, but in our team projection system as of right now, there is no incorporation whatsoever of rookies on offense other than looking at quarterbacks if that rookie becomes a starting quarterback. It's, it's very simple. It is much easier to predict the uh, value that a defensive high pick brings to a defense than the value that an offensive high pick brings to an offense in the short term. I'm not talking about what that player will mean to the team in the long run, uh, but some offensive players, offensive players can have a much wider swing between having a lot of effect or having no effect, whereas defensive players all who are, high, who are drafted highly, are, it's much more common that they have some positive effect on a team. So taking draft picks high on defense affects our projection, whereas taking draft picks high on offense doesn't. Interesting. But then in the words that we write with the chapters, that's when our own opinions and what we've seen on film come into play in what we say about the team. And obviously, we also have this projection system that we do for certain positions, and it just so happens we have one for wide receiver and we have one for running back. And the wide receiver one, the class of 2014, was the best wide receiver class that it had ever seen. And the running back one, the class of 2017, is the best class it's ever seen. Right? For yeah. that... Uh, Mixon, Mixon, yeah. Cook McCaffrey. Are five of the top, are, sorry, three of the top five or six projections of the last twenty years by our new backcast running back projection system. And Christian McCaffrey is the kind of guy who's like in any other year would be, oh yeah, a first round pick. It's just that this year his projection looks kind of eh. The thing to remember about this running back class as opposed to that wide receiver class is that in the modern NFL is much more important than running. So a bunch of number one game-breaking wide receivers are going to have more of an effect on wins and losses than a bunch of really good running backs. Um, especially because, you know, Cincinnati already had a really good running game, maybe not last year, but the year before. And a lot of it depends on offensive lines. You know, Dalvin Cook can't make the Minnesota offensive line any better. And, you know, Jacksonville can't run the ball down your throat if they're losing games. So I don't think these running backs will affect wins and losses in the same way that Odell Beckham and Brandon Cooks and Mike Evans really, really helped those offenses overall. Yeah. Uh, this is my favorite part every year. Uh, I look forward to hearing about a couple of teams uh, that you and DVOA and Football Outsiders really values this year. Uh Maybe maybe the rest of the football the football world is caught on, but maybe not. Uh, who are a couple teams you guys are really excited about this year? All right. Well, I'm going to start with one that we don't have projected in the playoffs, and okay. I have to start with that caveat because the fact that we're so high on this team blows people away. So I'm going to say we do not have the Los Angeles Rams as a playoff team. Okay. But. The record of Wade Phillips in taking over defenses is extraordinary. Every defense he has taken over has improved dramatically, including a Denver defense that was already fourth best in the league when he took 
over and then became one of the greatest defenses of all time. And while the Rams' defense declined to 15th last year, we know that the talent is there. Even your daughter knows how much talent is there with the Rams' defense. <laughs> we also know they have one of the best special teams units, and while special teams tend to be inconsistent, the most consistent part of special teams is the punter. And the Rams have one of the greatest punters in NFL history, Johnny Hecker. It's very possible that they have the best defense in the league. You put those things two, to, two things together with an offense that is just run-of-the-mill bad instead of the horrific black hole that it was last year. And you've got a 7-9 and nine or 8-18. Eight and 18. All it's going to take is for Jared Goff to be as good as Brock Osweiler or Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that could be a 7-9 and nine or 8-18. Eight eight so if he makes a big jump, you know, if he justifies then they're a playoff, then team. They're a playoff team. Interesting. Who else? Yeah. If Jared Goff could be an average NFL quarterback, the Rams are a playoff team. Interesting. Yeah. I have my doubts. I uh, I watched the uh, whatever they call the hard knocks on Amazon that focused on them last year, and you know, you always got the feeling every episode there was more talent than was being reflected on the field. Yeah, I mean, look, I've been told by somebody in L.A. that when McVeigh and the new coaching staff arrived in the building and they watched the film, they were so disheartened by the scheme from last year, they said it was basically no different than watching a college film. Like, it had the same, basically had the same bearing on the scheme they're going to run this upcoming season as a college film. Like, it was just like, it was almost useless. Wow, wow. Well, he could be uh, – wow, that's interesting. That Rams are really interesting. Who's uh, who's the next team? Well, hey, do you remember who was in the Super Bowl two years ago? Two years ago was – let's see, last year – oh, Carolina and Denver. Yeah, Carolina Panthers. Remember those guys? Yes, unfortunately. You know that they're good? You know that's a team with a lot of talent on it? They do have a ma- – and they've is. upgraded offensive talent as well this year. Right. Now, I mean, look, uh, it remains to be seen whether Cam can do a short passing game. That's not his strength. His strength is the deep pass. Um, but, you know, get Keekly back from injury. Uh, get another year of experience from young cornerbacks. And young cornerback, rookie cornerbacks often tend to struggle, even ones who are going to develop into stars. Uh, get better luck than they had last year offensive line play I would hope than they had last year. I really like Carolina. Again, I don't think it's likely they're going back to the Super Bowl, but I think they're the favorites to win the NFC South. And the fact that people have almost, like, a lot of people have almost written them off, like, two years ago never happened, just seems a bit absurd to me. Yes, I, they are, they, they are very much a team that takes on the personality of the quarterback, though, and Cam Newton is the biggest front runner I've ever seen play the position. When they're going well, he excels. He makes plays you can't believe. And when they start to when things start to go bad, he drops his shoulders. His body language is bad, and he's he he's just not accurate. Oh, I, hate this, um, I hate this reading. I, 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 at least you're talking about his mechanics and not dropping his shoulders like in press conferences, because that stuff drives me nuts. No, no, no. I mean I, on I the field think, between the lines. I, Forget his press conference. I don't conference. think that's the case. I think it's more that the offensive scheme previously just depended on him for so much. 
he wasn't well protected on the, especially on the sides, right? I mean, they had good interior. So much was depending on running and on the threat of him running, even if it was a hand. Uh, and it is tough. What did the scheme ask him to do was different than what most schemes ask most quarterbacks to do. Uh, I have a lot of faith in him. I mean, I don't think he's as good necessarily as he looked two years ago. But then I didn't think he should win the MVP. I thought Russell Wilson should have been the MVP. And I would have voted for Palmer second and Newton third. But I do think he's a good quarterback, and I do think they have a very good. Yes, I agree. He is very good. Like I said, just I notice it in watching him two to four or five times a year, two where I watch every play, and it's just, I don't know. It's easy. I think he's one of those guys. You get him off the mark, that's your chance. But maybe that's with anyone. Uh, I, I would rather have Cam Newton, who plays well when the team is doing well and badly when the team is doing badly, than have Blake Bortles, who plays well when right. the rest of the team is doing badly, <laughs> terrible when the rest of the team is doing well. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a really good, that's a really good point. Uh, you got another one? Well, the other one that comes to mind is one that uh, it won't matter because the offense is going to be so pathetic, but the Jets' defense is better than anybody gives it credit for. The theme of the chapter in the book on the Jets is that they can't even dump right because the defense <laughs> might keep from being the worst team in the league. <laughs> can't even dump right. I don't think right. people realize how good Leonard Williams is. Yeah, well, yeah, they probably don't because he's, you know, he's been on a bad team his whole career, basically. If you look at run defense DVOA, two of the best dozen run defense DVOA teams of the last 30 years are the 2015 and 2016 New York Jets. It's a wonder anybody ever runs the ball against them. And their secondary should be better this year. And that defense might keep them from getting the number one pass. Is there any chance in your mind that the Bills could break this playoff drought? I mean, it's 17 years without playoffs here. We'll say the scramble for the ball, we did the first scramble for the ball of the year today, and they talked about the over-unders on defense. And Brian and Andrew told a story that I think makes logical sense for the Bills of how that could happen. Right? Miami crumbles with public quarterback. The Jets crumble like we know they're going to. And that, and, the, and Tyrod Taylor, you know, maybe uh, McDermott's defense, they fit into McDermott's defense faster than we're generally giving them credit for. And the new offensive scheme does not take a step back. And they do very well at home, obviously lose to the Patriots, but have a couple of home upsets. And they sweep the Dolphins and the Jets. And they go 10-6 and six and they win a wild card. It's a terrible story. I don't think it's going to happen. Because the fact is that all other things being equal, teams generally take a step backwards when they have to learn new schemes from new coaching staff. And you have a new offensive and defensive coaching staff there. And I swear to God, the Bills have switched back and forth from a 3-4 to a 4-3 137 times in the last 10 years. <laughs> and they've now rendered last year's second-round pick completely superfluous because Reggie Ragland totally does not fit the current scheme. And I, 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 I have, you know, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if, if they can tell that story where everything works. Uh, but but uh, I do believe in the fact that they are trying to have a coherent organizational philosophy now with the GM 
and the head coach being on the same page, trying to do things the way they did in Carolina. And I do think Tyrod Taylor is the most underrated quarterback in the NFL. He is a average to above average starting quarterback who everyone keeps trying to replace like he's like he's freaking, you know, Brian Hoyer or something. <laughs> but they have nothing to replace him with. Uh, and so, uh, in the projections in the book, their postseason odds are about twenty five percent. Their playoff contenders in thirty four percent of the projections, and even Super Bowl contenders in eleven percent of the projection. Of course, people here are used to the mediocrity, which is the biggest, the biggest bulk forty one percent of the projections uh, there. Uh, which is a really cool thing about the book. I just wanted to highlight, at least with one team, is the projections. And we talked last year about how the Browns. Uh, even won the Super Bowl in like six of the simulations or something like that, uh, but of course that wasn't that didn't play out uh, uh, on the field last year. But um, why don't you lay out everything? Because there's a ton I'm sure you want to get out there. Uh, Football Outsiders is now part of RotoPass. If you're a fantasy guy, it's one of the best services out there. Of course, ESPN Insider, uh, the 2017. Uh, Football Outsiders Football Almanac is available digitally, uh, so it's real easy to get, and you can have it on your phone or your iPad or your Kindle in 30 seconds after you take your credit card out. Uh, You can find Aaron on Twitter, find Football Outsiders on Twitter, the writers. Uh, You want to give any more specifics or anything anything you want to plug? Go ahead. Point out, first of all, don't try to look at the book on your phone, because I swear to God, you will probably go, go blind, <laughs> because the tables will look just so tiny. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the book is 500 pages, right? I mean, yep. so it's not just tables. We don't believe in just tables. That would be boring. We have words. We write about these teams and where they're going in 2017. Not just the NFL, but previews of our top 50 college teams as well, projections for all the fantasy players. Uh, the book is in PDF form on our site, footballoutsiders.com, $20. You can also get it uh, on Amazon or at our site in print form for $27.95. Uh, folks should also check out our fantasy projections, the Kubiak fantasy projections, of course, after Gary Kubiak, because I'm weird. <laughs> and they cost $20 for a workbook that you can uh, download updates throughout the preseason. We've already gone in and put Jay Cutler in and took it out. Quincy Inunua, which was the most depressing thing I've done in quite a while, trying to project who's going to catch the Jets without Quincy Inunua in there. Uh, and I also recommend our uh, the three premium subscriptions. So we're working with Sports Info Solutions. They now handle our game charting. So we do not only our original premium subscription, which includes our picks against spread and a big database of historical DVOA uh, stats, we have premium charting data updated throughout the season for $30 that includes cornerback charting numbers and how teams do on play action or against play action and broken tackle stats and dropped passes. And we're hoping to add some numbers on blitzes that will be updated throughout the season. And... We have the weekly fantasy projections for $25 updated every week with fantasy projections going on a weekly basis. Or if you play uh, Daily Fantasy, like uh, DraftKings or FanDuel. And yes, we have a now for people who do that. We are on ESPN Insider. 
Uh, you can follow Twitter. I believe it's FB Outsiders is the uh, Twitter handle, and mine is FO underscore A-S-C-H-A-T-Z, my difficult to spell last name, FO underscore A Shots. Awesome. Thank you so much for all the time. Have a nice night in the city. Enjoy your dinner. Um, thank you for, for doing this with us every year. I always look forward to it and appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and helping me uh, tip the almanac out to all the football fans out there. And we hope every year the new people buy it and it helps, it helps them become more knowledgeable and better entertained football fans. It's not just about knowledge. It's also about entertainment because we wouldn't love football if it was not fun. That's right. Thank you, Aaron. All right. All right, I want to thank Aaron Schatz and Michael Fabiano for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can find this week's podcast and all of our podcasts on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sportsdeskcasters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and really wherever podcasts are found. If you find a spot uh, where you found a podcast and you can't find us, email us to sportscasters at gmail.com and we'll try to fix that for you. We've done it in the past with different Spots where people are like, hey, I want to listen here. Or, hey, I want to listen there. And we've taken care of it. Because uh, in the end, we want to be everywhere. Sure. Uh, don't forget, you can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters and at Don Lake Sports. And uh, other guests we got lined up. We're still going to get Jeff Passon on uh, to talk baseball soon. We're going to talk to Stuart Mandel, preview the college football season. Uh, I talked to Joe Buck yesterday through text message. We'll have him on before football season starts. Uh, I've already emailed with Bill Hoffheimer at ESPN. Uh, Sean McDonough should be on either before the season or during the first month of the season. Uh, that's always a 30 email thing before he gets <laughs> on, but they always get on. Yeah. It's just, you, I got to, you know, email a bunch of times. But, I mean, Trico was on once a year, every year, and last year McDonough was on. So I'm confident uh, he'll be on. So a bunch of uh, good interviews to come. Uh, so, yeah. All right, one last thing for me this week, and this is usually my go-to when I have nothing else, but uh, new shows that I've been watching. Uh, did you watch Ozark? No, but I've heard a lot about Ozark, it's, and it's on the list. It's great. Yeah, I mean, it's one season, so you're not missing much. Uh, it's Jason Bateman in a totally different role. It's fun. It's it's harsh. I mean, it's it's good. It's really it's really good. We it drew us in pretty quick. Did you watch Bloodline? No. That's the Netflix one. I watched episode one today. It's three seasons all in. Okay. You know, they just had season three. It was billed as the final season. Okay. I guess it's a story about four siblings. Okay. And they're from, like, the Keys. They're kind of a well-off family. Um, But I watched the first one today. I'll see. A lot of people rave about it. People who watch it love it. Did you watch Glow? No. I saw your tweets about it. Awesome. Really? Yeah, you don't have to like wrestling. No, okay. It's not a wrestling thing, really. Yeah, we moved on to Black Mirror right now, which is it's a weird it's a weird watch because they're heavy. They're sometimes like messed like they're usually kind of messed up and depressing, and so it's not something easily like to binge because like you don't want to watch two of them in a row sometimes. But there's only like ten episodes total. So did you watch? Are you caught up on Orange Is the New Black? Yes. What did you think of the season being played out in three days? Thought it was better than the previous season or two. 
Like some of them, I think get a little crazy. And this one was weird and over the top, but it was only three days. And I don't know that anything. I thought the most over the top. I mean, spoiler, but it happens like at the end of the last season. But when she shoots the guard, like that's the that was the weirdest move overall of the whole thing to me. But I guess they needed something like that to set off all the events. And and has anyone ever played a hand worse than Tasty played her hand in the whole negotiation? Oh yeah, <laughs> right yeah. Because she made it all about uh, the girl that died. She made it all about the one battle they couldn't win. Right. Yep. They, they won essentially every other battle. Yep. But that wasn't good enough. Yep. And, I mean, if you were able to get all of that out of a prison riot, I mean, don't you got to take that and run? But I actually liked the way it ended. I didn't think it ended too crazy. Um, it ended with him packing them all on a bus and shipping them out to Max probably, right? Except for the girls that were holed up. Spoilers here. Right, uh, yeah, it's, this is like we're well very spoiler. recent spoilers. Yeah. yeah, but the girls that were holed up in the old pool room, like they make it sound like someone's going to get shot there, and I think that would be totally unnecessary. They're all kind of complying. They're all just standing there waiting for the people to come in. They shot the old the yeah the mean guard. Yeah, that was that was the kind of one. yeah that was kind of messed up. But uh, do you watch Game of Thrones? I don't. Um, I've heard I've sh- – it's one of those shows. They were just talking on the radio. I was actually on Corolla's podcast about things that uh, uh, like black culture and white culture are super far apart on. But that was one of them they said that they're right together with is black people and white people love Game of Thrones and watch it. But I, I haven't gotten to it yet. I don't understand it. You started it, right? I, I mean I'm up to date. Oh, you are? I just don't get it. Don't get the appeal? I get the appeal. It's a really well done show. Yeah. You know, for the genre, it's clearly the best thing ever made in that genre. Okay. You know, I mean... I don't know what the second best one would be. Maybe Lord of the Rings, but I haven't I seen a second say, of those movies. I was going to say Lord so, of the Rings, but yeah. I haven't seen either. Uh, the detail and the expense and the... I always say this. Like, I'm watching the first season, and it's mm-hmm. awesome. It's this really cool medieval-type story about kings and queens and families. And then all of a sudden, the Khaleesi walks into fire... And I expect it to be the end of the Khaleesi because she walked into a burning fire and she comes out the other side and it's like the whole show changes. Okay. Because now all of a sudden you have someone who can walk through it's fire. Like a superhero. On the show, yeah, yeah. You know, and I was saying to someone, I'm like, this one side has dragons. They're cheating. <laughs> and he's like, well, the other side has a three eyed raven and this side is this and this side is that. It's like, it's I should get into it. I mean, we're blowing through TV series now, so uh, maybe I should get into it. I don't know. I is definitely Tammy recommend. Into it? Oh no, she has no time for it. No, no, no interest. The the one thing about a show, and I think maybe Vince Gilligan is better at, at this than anybody, is I like to feel like okay, the director knows where he's going with this. Like the story is not like sometimes on The Walking Dead, you could feel like Ugh, they really wrote themselves into a corner. They don't know what they're doing next. They're just trying to be crazy or whatever. But I, I mean, with. Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad and The Sopranos. You felt like every step of the way, those writers knew exactly what they wanted to do. And I don't think there's accidents in the show either. You know, like sometimes people will watch a movie too closely looking for like symbolism and stuff. But I don't think there's like accidental symbolism or foreshadowing on those shows. I just think those guys really, really know their stories. But uh, yeah, we probably talked since then, but that show is phenomenal. Better, Better Call, Call Saul. Saul. Yeah, it's, it's very good. It's the best show on TV right now. Yeah, very good. Uh, I'm really enjoying. Narcos season three is coming up in September. I can't wait for that. I love Narcos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm into Hard Knocks right now. Obviously, just started watching Game of Thrones. I watched Big Brother in the summer with Tammy, which yeah. is just kind of something fun to do. HBO is weird. I had an HBO free 
subscription for one year, and that obviously expired uh, since then. But uh, they still let me use HBO Go, so I should probably watch Hard Knocks. Michelle actually enjoyed that when we watched it the one Yeah, season. it's a really good season so far. And uh, Silicon Valley is still really good. Yeah, you know what's weird about that? I think I'm done. Yeah, you don't like it anymore? I had five epi- I have five episodes left that are out of my DVR from the season. Yeah. I mean, I think I told you this last season. At some point, it's just not that funny that they fuck everything up. Anymore. Yeah, someone made a flowchart about it's that. Just that, not. Is, that is kind of the thing. It's, uh, it starts, you develop something brilliant. They monetize it. They screw it up to where it looks like everything is lost. And then something saves them. And then you start the thing over again. And that is kind of every single season. And I know Mike Judge said they can never just win because then the show's not as interesting. But maybe the last season, like uh, T.J. Miller has already moved He's on out. from it. Yeah, right. yeah. So maybe other guys will want to move on. Maybe Mike Judge will just want to move on. Like, write the season where they win. I mean, it could be fun to watch. It just feels like a show that, like you were saying, maybe that got popular. So it's run maybe longer than is ever intended. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't. They're just telling the same story. It's still story probably my over favorite comedy on TV. Again. I just don't know that there's a lot of competition for it. But it is the over the overarching story is identical. But it every still time. cracks me up yeah. every the episodes all crack me up still. But all right, one last thing for me today. So pretty much every night or most nights of the week, around seven thirty or eight o'clock, Paula will come and lay into bed with me. We'll go lay down in bed with a bottle. She's all swallowed up, ready for sleep. And we kind of just hang out while she kind of wind, like a wind down, you know, like sure. wind down yeah. from the day, yeah. you know. And we watch videos usually. We'll take my phone out and we'll go to YouTube and we'll play videos. <laughs> okay. And we watch. She's got some songs she likes. Mm-hmm. So we'll watch some songs like Two Hearts by Phil Collins has always been Oh, okay. Like real song. songs. Oh, that's good. You get, you're exposing her. Um, she loves Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. Fears. Yeah. Uh, she likes Easy Lover by Phil Collins and the black guy who's in it. Um, Philip Bailey. She's got a bunch of songs she likes. Then she also likes to watch uh, – what else do we watch? We'll put on – I'll put on like random stuff to see it'll, if it'll like, – every night I try something new. Yeah. You know, like a child wrestling or things that I like. Oh, okay. See if she'll like it. So you, you haven't know? got to like the baby genius stuff yet. Nah, nah. She can do that with mom. Okay. I want to show her cool shit. So I always would try like, oh, let's put this on. Let's put this on. And – I said to her one night because we were. Oh, another thing we'll do is we'll Facetime with people. Her, okay. un, you know, her uncles, her grandmas. You know, we'll do some Facetimes. And we got done talking to my brother, and I said, "Oh, do you want to see Uncle Anthony playing hockey?" And it just clicked with her. She really? loves it. And the last week, I've been kind of watching my daughter fall in love with hockey. It's been kind of cool. She says hockey. She says hockey. Yeah. She claps for goals. Oh yeah. You know, when there's goals scored, she'll clap. Um, she will go like, 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 she'll get real excited when it first starts. Okay. And then today, I took out a mini stick, and she was playing. She's a righty. Okay. She was smacking the dog with the stick and stuff, so we had to kind of find out. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so she started playing, and she just, she loves hockey. So it's kind of cool. And I was thinking, like, all right, well, just, what if she loves it and she wants to be a hockey player? 
Like, am I cool with that? And I guess I, I'm cool. I mean, I don't really care. Because of the concussion thing or because she's No, a I don't care about that. Oh, okay. I mean, just like, yeah, girls in sports. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't care what she does, I guess, in the end. Like, she wants to play hockey. She wants to play football. She wants to dance. She wants to do gymnastics. It doesn't really matter to me. I think if you could find something but, that that she goes in one direction with. You know what I mean? Like, if she finds something that she runs toward, that's probably good. Like, my, I have a five-year-old, and she's still... We should put her in things that we think she'll like rather than things that she just does because she, she plays soccer now, but there's no gravity to the games to her. You know, if a goal gets, she has no idea who wins or loses. She she goes out there, she tries hard, but and that's fine. She doesn't have to love soccer or anything, but it's it'd be nice to find something that she really latched onto. Like we obviously she's still really young. Yeah. She's not even two yet. She just turned one, really. Right. Yeah. Uh, and she's done swim. And she liked to swim, and she likes to go in the pool, mm-hmm. you know. So, but I don't think she wants to be a swimmer. I think <laughs> she is tough to call right now. Yeah. Wants to be in the in the water, right? Right. She did like this roly polies is like kind of like a very basic gymnastics kind of a thing. yeah yeah really basic. Uh, and I don't know, she liked that, but I think she just liked to jump in the balls. You know, it's like, but I I think in the end, I just the only thing I'll say is if you start something, you gotta finish. Yep. No quitting. You know, but I, it would be cool, I guess, if she likes hockey. I, I'd sign up to take a ride with her and see where it goes. Yeah. 